0: This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. The first Bible reading, New Testament reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, commencing at verse 31. Jesus said, when the son of man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are This is the word of the Lord. Thanks.
1: The second Bible reading is from Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to you, God.
2: Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and show it forth in our lives. For the glory of your great name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Let me add my welcome to David's. My name's Tim Escott. I'm one of the ministers here, and uh, clearly... And uh, I' we're going to be looking together at Romans chapter 15 together, we're, we're continuing our series on what it means to, to be turned towards one another, to have a concern for one another. And today it's about how God compels us to welcome one another. That final verse of, uh, that we read from Romans 15 verse seven, "Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. As I was preparing this week, I was kept feeling a little frustrated because talking about welcoming each other can just sound so motherhood and apple pie. Now, of course, we want to welcome each other, right? We all we all love a warm smile and a handshake. Well, if only we could, maybe we love an elbow bump, right? Uh, We love a polite hello at the church door, even a friendly chat over morning tea or down at the shops or on the train, wherever we might bump into each other. But the challenge today is for us to recover the weightiness of a welcome. Welcoming is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian because at the heart of the gospel, is that God has welcomed us. And so that's where I want to start today, that God has welcomed us. The second half of that verse, welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now I want you to imagine the worst kind of house guest. I don't mean the realistic kind of house guest. I'm a house guest, Who might be bad, I mean the worst kind of uh, comedic, comedically bad house guest you can imagine. The kind of person you would want to kick out of your home. You invite them over for a dinner party, but they don't even RSVP. And then they turn up anyway, an hour late, or worse, an hour early. You're there slaving away in the kitchen and they start hanging around, complaining about how they're hungry. And they want to eat now. And then when you sit down, they open up the conversation, of course, and just start talking about themselves, their achievements, or worse, all their problems. And then they start talking to the other guests and start making rude comments and criticising them. And when they're done, they don't say thanks for the meal. They do insist on tidying up. But then they put things away in their wrong spots And then they walk around thinking that they've just done the most amazing thing for everybody in the house. After dinner, they walk around the house looking at all your things, asking questions about the photos, touching all your things. They ignore you then and just want to play your piano, watch your TV, thumb through all your books. And then they want to take a new car for a spin. They stay too late, drink too much and pass out on the lounge. Now, it's hard for us to realise, but in our natural state, before God, we are all a bit like this house guest. It's not that we're like this all the time, but even in small ways, these kinds of things permeate our lives and attitudes towards God and His creation. Paul begins the letter of Romans kind of in this way by probing our unwelcomeness. God calls out to us, but we tend not to respond to him as we should because we suppress his voice. We enjoy all the good things of creation, but we tend to be ungrateful and ignore him. When things don't work out for us, we complain that we don't have things the way we want, we demand that they go our way. and we try to relate to others of the fellow house guests around us, we can be self absorbed and cruel, critical and unforgiving. Now, we might set out to do good and great things, but even our best intentions are infected with the desire for recognition and praise. Our good even our good living is infested with attitudes of self righteousness and superiority and so we offend god we hurt god we make him angry and so we are accountable to him we face his judgment and as owner of the home god has every right to kick us out and outside his home there there is nothing only homelessness hunger and destitution And so when the housekeeper throws you out, you sink into the doorstep with nowhere else to go. Now all of this kind of sounds pretty dramatic, but we too easily forget that before God, this really is naturally how we stand. We might talk about redeeming features. Aren't they good enough? By God's grace, we absolutely have good features, but none of them are redeeming. Before God and in light of our self-absorbed pride and idolatry, even with our philanthropy and success and achievements and education and family and connection and manners, we are destitute and mute and small. And yet, and yet, the owner of the house approaches us, bends down and speaks. Rise. Rise. Come into the house. He takes you in. He absorbs all the offence and hurt into himself. He forgives you of every wrong word and ungrateful act. He invites you, come and sit in the most comfortable chair and serves you up the most delicious and nourishing meal. But then he brings out the paperwork and you think, oh, What's this about? He invites you to sign. Certificate of adoption. It's outrageous, but he writes you into his will. A daughter, a son, an heir. Even after all that, now the house and everything in it is yours. He even offers you keys to the car. He dresses you in the best clothes, feeds you the most nourishing food, so that miraculously you're no longer self-absorbed or proud or self-loathing. You find yourself transformed bit by bit. You are welcomed. And not as simply an unworthy guest, though that is what you were and in some ways still are, but now you are also transformed into a permanent and beloved member of the family. This is how God welcomes you. Through His Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Spirit. And so, by the time we get to Romans 15, verse 7, Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Because it's not only you he has welcomed, but also everyone else around you. Alongside you today and elsewhere are unworthy house guests now made members of his family. People for whom Christ also died. People with whom we now worship God with a grateful and sincere heart, with one mind, one voice. To live in harmony and worship together. And so welcome one another, therefore, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. But what will this look like for us? What does it mean for us to welcome others as Christ has welcomed us? Well, what's going on here in Romans chapters 14 and 15, this this unit? Uh, It's a little bit outside our experience, but bear with it because it shows us uh, what's at stake What was happening was that there was a group of Christians in this church who felt compelled to observe religious practices, like obeying the Sabbath really strictly and abstaining from certain foods. But then there was was another group who thought that those things didn't matter. Didn't matter, you didn't have to keep the Sabbath or, or abstain from those foods. And so there was this deep division and Paul was telling them, no, no, you need to welcome each other. Now, this kind of issue sounds a bit uh, like a bit strange to us. You know, it doesn't really seem like that big a deal. But it was deeply significant because the two groups felt that the issue was very, very serious. The Christians who abstained from the food were probably doing so because they thought that the food had been sacrificed to idols and that by eating the food, it would have been like they were worshipping other gods Like they were turning away from the true God and worshipping these other gods. So they saw the other Christians doing this and they they thought, how could they live like that? How could they be so godless and shameless? But then the other group, the non-observant Christians, thought that the others were being over the top and holier than thou. So they treated them with contempt. Why should they think they're better than us? Don't they know the truth of the gospel that... The food you eat and the days you keep don't matter? Now, this is a serious issue to to disagree about. And so when Paul tells them to welcome one another, it's not that Paul thinks it doesn't matter. In fact, he thinks that the first group are wrong. He thinks that they're immature and insufficiently taught, that their faith is weak. And yet, he insists that they welcome each other. And welcoming, as it appears here, it appears too at the beginning of chapter 14, and it's a summary of how they ought to be relating to each other in these chapters. And in there he tells them, don't quarrel, don't fight about these things. Be at peace and instead build each other up, living harmony. Put each other first. Worship God together. What matters most is our unity together in Christ, that we are fellow children under God, drawn together to worship Him with one voice. Now, if I ask you to think of the most welcoming person that you could possibly imagine, the ideal form of a welcoming person, what would they be like? A warm, friendly person, firm handshake, certain look in the eye, and an easy smile, great conversationalist. Now, all that's great, and our dominant subculture loves that stuff. But it's superficial, unless it goes deep. Because you can be like that while still being judgmental and critical. Welcoming others is about seeing others as your very own sister or brother, even if you're deeply at odds or very different. It's refusing to judge them with a critical spirit, but giving them the same generous and open welcome that God has given you, that unworthy house guest. Praying for them, building them up with an encouraging word. And even people who you find most difficult, standing steadfast with each other through thick and thin. And to do that, I think we really need to slow down and spend time with each other. Spend real time with each other, with other people, listening to them and getting to know them. And not just talking about the weather, but our past, our loves, our hurts. This can be really hard in busy city life, but we are called to be counter-cultural by opening our hearts and opening our homes. Some of the most welcoming people that I know are nevertheless shy, awkward in conversation, introverted, and even domestically challenged, and yet they have a genuine openness that takes others who are different into their heart and into their home. But who is it that we should welcome? Who should we welcome? Well, here in Romans 15, God calls us to welcome people, not only who are like us, but people who are also very different from us. And the passage passage and what I'm talking about today is fundamentally about how Christians welcome other Christians who are different from them. Now, this kind of welcoming, I think, extends out to the world around us. But if we can't welcome each other, then what hope do we have for welcoming those who are outside? And so the challenge for us as Christians is to begin by welcoming other Christians who are very different from us. And I think what's at the heart of this is seeing people, even again others who are different, as one of us, not one of them, as one of us. And there are so many ways that we can tend to divide things up and, uh, and hold people apart from us, that we need to press through to welcome each other. And I'm just going to talk about four of them. And the first is that we can disagree, over, and this can seem a little minor, but I think it can get a bit serious sometimes. We can disagree over how we think we should do church and worship. This is probably the most similar to kind of the kind of thing that's going on in Romans. I think there's a real risk of this kind of thing in a church like St Mark's that has a wide range of preferences for worship And how we do church, from things being very traditional in the morning to things being much more relaxed in the evening uh, to people being at home and joining in online. And if I'm honest, I've got to, I mean, over a long period of time, only a couple of times, I've heard some ungenerous and dismissive comments about how others engage with God in church. But what really matters is not the style of music that we have Or the kind of building that we meet in. Or the kinds of clothes that we wear. Or whether we stand or sit or kneel. Or how often we take communion or the reverent look on our faces. Or now where we feel most safe. What matters is that we are worshipping God with our whole hearts. In good conscience. and So we should never despise or look down on others who worship Christ in a different way. Second, we can come from very different places and backgrounds. I think this is especially prominent in our culture at the moment, but it's very real. Different races and cultures come from different places, different educations and jobs. And God calls us to be open and welcoming, not only to wealthy, white, English-speaking, educated people from the nice suburbs of Sydney. When you first meet people... I think it's really easy to look at their skin, to look at, to hear their accent, to see their clothes, to ask them, where did you grow up? Or where did you go to school? Or where do you send your kids to school? Or what do you do for a living? And then silently, sometimes subconsciously, rank them in your head in order of whether or not they're significant. A prejudice like that is just worldly and completely contrary to the gospel. That person is your sister or brother for whom Christ died and who Christ calls you to treat as more important than yourself. More important than even the most important, impressive looking person in the room. Thirdly, we can disagree over what we think is good and true. Now, this could be things that are more internal to the church, you know, matters of doctrine like predestination or matters about the Holy Spirit or miraculous gifts. But it might also be about political and social issues. Which party you vote for? Feminist issues, race, gender, sexuality, economic policy, abortion and euthanasia. Now it should be, I just want to remind us that there's nothing wrong with strong conviction and honest agreement. You know, Paul, remember, he isn't saying that we should be unthinking and and watery and just say, well, your truth is your truth and mine is mine. We should have strong convictions based on careful theological and biblical thinking. But when we disagree, we need to remember that these kinds of issues are peripheral. They are not measures of orthodoxy or qualifications for fellowship for who is really a Christian, who has a genuine faith. What's most important is that we seek to discern God through his word, that we hold fast to the central truth of the gospel, that Jesus is Lord, he died and rose for us, and he is coming back to judge. And so we honour, we respect and accept each other, even as we honestly disagree with generosity and openness and peace. And finally, we disagree over how we think we should live. We all have different lifestyles, different expressions of our Christian faith. And many think, uh, and there are many things that we disagree over whether they're acceptable or not. Now, in the past, common issues were things like baptism, uh, alcohol, relationship to alcohol, even dancing. These kinds of things were on the line. We feel like, I think many of us feel that's like it's a bit quaint uh, and a bit strange now but now I, there are other things. I think you can have things be to do with uh, things like our relationship to the environment or what we spend our money on or the way we raise our kids and the education we value, whether, whether you smoke or not. But what's important in all of these is that we seek to live with Jesus Christ as our Lord and then respect each other's consciences. We can all think of someone who we think lives unacceptably as a Christian. And there might be place for a gentle and respectful rebuke. But ultimately, the Lord is their judge. Not you, not me. So there's no room for condemning and passing judgment as if you don't have a sinful heart too as if I don't have a sinful heart too. And no room for gossip about this stuff. I've, I've heard some outrageous, unfair gossip among Christians and it's about, about the way each other live and it's shameful. It should never be this way among us. Instead, we support and care for each other We don't gossip about each other. We help each other and support each other, encourage each other. Honour. Honour everybody, Peter says. Not just the people who we think are deserving of respect. That's a common thing for people to say. God tells us to respect, to honour everybody. We bear each other's burdens. We help each other in our struggles. And we seek to worship Christ together with one voice. The heart of the gospel is that God has welcomed us as his beloved children. He has shown us how to welcome each other and he gives us the steadfastness and encouragement we need. And so we welcome each other for the glory of God because Christ has welcomed us.